Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture reading is Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, and Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Amen. Good morning again, and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Uh, I was having some trouble taking my mask off for right now. All right, uh, a few years ago, I met up with a congregant here in this church, uh, and this individual I've known for a while. He uh, actually came to the city to go to school, go to college. He stayed afterwards, got his first job outside of college. Uh, he's now settling into his mid-30s, and throughout his life, he, uh, here in the city, he actually had a fairly good spiritual life. Uh, he prayed, he read his Bible, uh, he loved learning and growing, loved meeting new people, was involved in community, uh, and um, he got it. And he had a lot going for him, and then what happened was, is he got a, a new job. And in this new job, it called for him to be working seven days a week. He had no rest day. Every day was work. Every day was, uh, you know, he was on call, so to speak. And you could see the effects on his body. You could see how tired he was. You could see what happened. His, it didn't matter that he had a spiritual life in some respects. It didn't matter he had a prayer life. It didn't matter that he had all these relationships and friends and, and people in his life. Um, because at the end of the day, because he had no rest, he was toast. We're looking at the Ten Commandments each week, and these are not the ten suggestions. These are not the ten, uh, take them or leave it kind of things. The point of the Ten Commandments is that whether we realize it or not, these are the blueprints of our life. That there are, whether you, you do the Ten Commandments or not, there are consequences in our lives because of them, because of how we're made, because they're, they're instruction manual about how, how to live. So let's look at three things today. Let's look at rest from our physical work, rest from our meaningless work, and then rest from work beneath the work. All right? I'll say that again. It's rest from our physical work, rest from meaningless work, and then rest from the work beneath the work. So first, rest from physical work. Uh, before the pandemic, 
as a pastor in the city, been here a long time, uh, the thing that people said the most to me is when we met up, a lot of times they would say, I'm tired. I'm burnt out. I'm, uh, you know, stretched. It reminds me of that, that quote from Bilbo in uh, Lord of the Rings. It, it, he says to Gandalf, he says, I feel stretched like butter that's been scraped over too much bread. It's a great analogy. Like butter over too much bread. Now, since the pandemic's happened, since I've been starting to meet up with some folks again, you want to know what people are saying the most? I'm tired. <laughs> I feel stretched. I feel burn out. And, and yet, you know what's interesting? There is a difference. There is a, a, an important difference. There, there's, there's also this malaise of malcontent. There's this, I'm, I, you know, there, there, the words that people have said is, where I am, who I am, they're reporting, people are reporting that I'm working harder than ever. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, and, and yet I'm not as focused, yet I'm not as effective as, as I used to be. And, and what's interesting is it seems to be that everybody is feeling this exact same feeling. It's not depression. It's, 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 it's different. Depression is a sort of a, 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 a um, hopelessness, even a nothingness in, in depression. This is more a joylessness or an aimlessness, which is different. Last week, Jenny Yoon, who's our uh, Lincoln Square um, uh, managing director, she sent me an article uh, from the New York Times, and it was written by Adam Grant, who's a psychologist at Wharton, who uh, put a word to what we're feeling. In the New York Times, this article says, the feeling you're feeling is languishing. That feeling you're feeling is, is a sense of stagnation and emptiness, like looking through a foggy windshield. And when I read that article, I was like, yes, that's what people have been reporting. And so if flourishing is over here, and depression is over here. Languishing is this, this middle space of this absence of well-being. Most of us don't realize when we are languishing, he uses the phrase, we're indifferent to ha- of our indifference. But as you keep reading the article, he, he gives you some solutions. He says the solution to languishing is you need to get in what he calls the flow. And he defines the flow of the elusive state of absorption in a challenge, where that your sense of time and place melts away. And what he goes on to say is the people who have, who have done the best about getting rid of this feeling of languishing is they've thrown themselves into the flow of work. Or, he says, you could also binge watch Netflix because you've thrown yourself into the flow of the narrative of, some, of, of another story. And as I read this, I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. And then I thought about it, I go, wait a second. That's a really, really problematic way of handling languishing. Because the, the way to not languish in his solution is, is, is to throw yourself into something so much so that you just don't know you're languishing anymore. In other words, it doesn't actually get rid of languishing. It doesn't fix the problem. And so here's what it made me think. The problems we had before the pandemic and, and the problems after the pandemic, although they're not exactly the same, the, the, the phrases and the metaphors people are using are not exactly the same, I believe they have the same root. I believe that no amount of Netflix and no amount of just throwing yourself into your work will actually ultimately solve the problem. And the problem is this, a lack of a Sabbath. And we're looking at the fourth command, which is saying, take a Sabbath. And the word Sabbath, if, the, the Hebrew word here is the Hebrew word sabbat, which means ceasing. It means stoppage. It means 
working no longer, it's at least rest from our physical work. And what, what it's trying to get at is this. If you're going to thrive in this world, if you're going to make it in the long run, you need to physically stop at some level. This command, think about the historical context, it was given to a people who generationally never stopped. They were slaves, right, in Egypt, and they never knew the concept of, of not stopping. They, all they did was they worked and they worked and they worked, and the first thing God said to them when they came out of Egypt was, stop, no more, and remember. And, he, I, and I realized this. Guess what? You can't wait to rest when the work is over. You know why? Because there's always more work. There is always going to be more work. Even if you have an incredibly productive day in New York, I guarantee you there's always more you could have done. You could have read more. You could have written more. You could have worked on a project more. You can come home and do work at home. You could work on networking. You could work on, on your relationships. You could do your personal development work. There's always more work. And unless we proactively stop on the front side, what the Sabbath is saying is it'll never happen. There was a new study, I don't know if you saw this a couple weeks ago, uh, that showed that it, those who sleep less than six hours are ridiculously more prone to dementia later on in life. In other words, as, as we sleep less so that we can work more, literally our bodies are not designed for that. They fall apart. But then if you go back in, into Genesis, to Genesis 1 and 2, what you find there is in the creation of humanity, work was actually there before the fall. Much to a lot of folks chagrin. They're like, well, uh. but we, it's hard for us to imagine work without the fallen aspects of it. But, but here's what's interesting. Adam and Eve, when they worked, they had 24 hours in a day just like you and me. And that means they could actually only do so much work. They would work and they wouldn't be able to finish. And they have to say, you know what? It is done for today. And they said it was good. And why? Because God on the seventh day did the same thing. He worked, he worked, he created, he built. And on the seventh day, he said, it is good. He sat back. And, and so there's something then inherently about stopping that's inherently good. And why do I need to put that to you? Because you live in New York City. I don't know if you really believe that. At some fundamental level, as, and I don't just say you because I'm in this, <laughs> I grew up in this town too, that there's something about stopping that's good, and our culture doesn't fully believe that. Like it does, like we see articles, hey, you should rest, you should get eight hours of sleep, you should do this. And then the recommendation is throw yourself more into work, binge watch more, just ignore the fact that you're languishing, and and then you'll be okay, and that's just not going to work. And I guess, so before we move on, I need to ask you all, how are you doing about resting? And here's what's weird, you know, with working from home and doing the thing. In some ways, we're like, I'm resting more than ever. And yet, why are we languishing more than ever? Because the rest is physical. It's at least physical. That's what Sabbath is telling us that. It's at least that. But it's more. You are created individuals in space and time. You're designed for rest. When you feel like you need to rest, that's not a sign of your weakness. That's a sign of your design. Physical rest, first thing. Number two. The Sabbath doesn't just mean physical rest. It means rest from meaningless work. And what I mean by that is, yeah, you need physical rest, but you need actually emotional rest too. Ask yourself this. Ask yourself, why do I work? It's a really simple question, but why are you working? And I can guarantee you that 
If you don't know why you're working, I don't care how manual your labor is or how, uh, you know, sitting in a desk kind of work, white collar your work is, you will get up every day and you will languish. I don't care how much rest you get physically or mentally. If you don't know why you're working, it, it will affect you. It, it hits you. It, it, you'll wake up every day, what am I doing here? Um, you'll walk out drained. Now, I, I went to, what are some of the secular reasons for why work is? Most secular answers basically say it's to combine your work and your identity. It's something about you. You work because of you. The best example I thought, I've thought of this is uh, in Batman Begins with, with Christian Bale, right? When he's, at, when he's confronted, he's asked, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, in Christian Bale in his Batman voice, he goes, it's not who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. That's my Batman voice, but it's what you do. Basically, culture saying it's what you do that defines you. In other words, work is for significance. It's for self-esteem. It's for self-worth. And what this command is saying then is the opposite. It's saying it can't be for those reasons. If it's for significance, if work is a vehicle to achieve, to receive, it won't be enough. Which is why, look, go back to our text. The Sabbath, when, you're, when, you, when you take the Sabbath, it says you're supposed to keep it holy. And, and I, I have to always translate that word for modern people because when we think holy, most people think holy means religious because it's a religious word. So be religious with Sabbath, but that's not the word for holy. Well, it's not what holy means. Holy, the most literal translation for holy means to be set apart, to be consecrated. It means, it means to, to be removed. In other words, to keep the Sabbath, it's saying you have to physically, actually set it apart. And you say, well, okay, well, but why set it apart? Well, if you go down further in verse 10, which is imprinted in your, your bulletin, it actually says later, keep the Sabbath, keep it holy. Why? To the Lord your God. And I, I wish I'd put it in the bulletin because it's, it's that important. This is actually part of the, the command. Because it's not just keep it, it's keep it to the Lord. And that directional nature of the Sabbath is everything. Because Sabbath rest and work, all of it is actually directed to him. Which then mentally, that allows you to rest from your significance or finding your significance in your work. Because if all work is directed to God, then it's not actually yours now anymore, is it? It's towards him. And that, this is a huge deal. It has so many ramifications. Number one, Fundamentally, it changes the way you're going to approach work. Why? It centers you. What do I mean by that? It centers you because you're no longer, you know, achieving to receive. No, you've already received. And so your work then, what is it? It's taking what God's already given you, your mind, your body, your, your intellect, all the skills that you have were given by him, and then you're actually using them for him. Which then, I think is fascinating. Isn't it interesting that the phrase here, to keep the Sabbath, what does it mean to keep the Sabbath? That's work. So really, I think, I think it's almost ironic that to keep the Sabbath, you actually have to work at it. But you have to work at not working. Because why? Because as you know, if you don't work at not working, work creeps in. Something else, it'll come in and you'll start doing da 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 and then the next thing you know, you're like, dang it, I'm still working here. So therefore, it's a centering principle. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them. 
which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Secondly, though, it's a guiding principle because it guides not just work, but how you're going to work. If you're in, if you're working on Wall Street, if you're in business, if you're in finance on any level, right, and, and, and technically that means you're in the business of making money, if you know that all work is towards God, then how you go about your practice will change. You're not going to be just making money for yourself. You're going to be saying, what works for all people? Or if, let's say you're a writer or, a, a, you know, a, um, an artist, a, an actor, you're not going to just create images or stories or performances that hopefully get the most clicks and eyeballs and therefore you can make a paycheck. You're just going to, hopefully you're going to go into the things, if, if all work is towards him, they're going to create stories that are helpful for all people, because God made all people. And so I think knowing that work is in the Lord, that's a guide to how you work. So therefore, the Sabbath rest is rest from the meaninglessness of work. Because, I mean, listen, put it this way. If this world is all that there is, and you sort of randomly formed, and this is all who you are, that means you came out of meaninglessness. And that means if you die, then, you know, there's no point to your, your death, and when you die, it's just meaninglessness. If you come from meaninglessness and you go to meaninglessness, no offense, folks, logic, you can't have meaning in between. That's the problem. That's why we're languishing, because we're like, why am I here? What am I doing? But you are freed from that because the Sabbath transforms your relationship to work. And so it's not just for physicality, friends. This has ultimate death, uh, depth. Because when you Sabbath, what's happening is you're distancing yourself from using the work to define who you are. You're bracketing out the potential to use work as the narrative of your life. God himself, when he rested, right, he didn't need to actually rest. What was he doing? He knew it was a good in of himself to say, you know what, I'm going to sit back and not let this define who I am. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to see it. And he didn't do it because he needed to. He did it because it was a good in and of itself. Because what Sabbath is saying is this, I could work more, I could make more money, I could actually get more done, and I'm not. On purpose. Not going to do that. Just like we weekly have places for you to do offering, because offering is a way to give your treasure, to give your money, as a way to say, I'm not going to let my funds define who I am. The Sabbath is a weekly measure for you to say, I'm not going to let my work define who I am. And so if you're languishing, friends, part of the problem isn't just there might not be enough boundaries from work at home. Actually, you could make the argument maybe languishing has come onto your life because you actually have the space to say, oh my gosh, why am I doing this? What's the point of why I'm doing it? And if you aren't emotionally resting and distancing yourself from work, which I think the Sabbath is designed to give you, I think you're going to have problems. When I was a kid, uh, sorry, <laughs> When my kids were younger, 
um, and they needed naps more. I used to regularly, almost every day, say, you know, it's time for a nap. You know what I always got? No! I don't want a nap! Ah! I don't know if they did that part, but um, they, would, they would not like it. And I'm now at the age where, you know what, I wish somebody every day would come to me and say, it's time for a nap. Imagine if you had an authority, whatever you were doing right now would say, hey, time, I don't know why it's Batman, but uh, <laughs> time for a nap. And said, you know, and that what's amazing about the Sabbath, you know what it is? That's exactly what God's doing. It's time to stop, to save your life, to rest physically, but rest emotionally from the meaninglessness of your work because it has a direction, it has a place for it. All right, last point. The rest from the work beneath the work. Um, years ago, there was a, a church history professor at a seminary, and he had just given out a test. Everybody got their grades, and a, and a student came up to him and said, hey, I want to talk to you about my grade. I don't think I got the grade I deserve. And the professor was like, oh, tell me why. And the, and the student said, because I did my best on this exam. I did, I did my, my, best, my best. And the professor tried to with all seriousness, muster and say to this individual, okay, I hear you, but you need to know something. You never do your best. There is always more that you could do. You could have studied, did you study every last hour? Did you really put every last effort into your work? Because the answer is no. You could have memorized more facts. You could have read another book. You could have put in more effort. And this is that, you know, you can apply that to ourselves. Guess what? You in New York City, could probably work more. And that's why we're always falling short, because we know there's more work to do. And that, I think that's the essence of our problem, is we are living in the capital city of work, of making success the driving force of why we do what we do. And guess what? There's always more to do. So what's going to keep us in a place of rest? What's going to keep us from falling apart? I've lived here long enough. I know many, many people are like, I just couldn't make it, Mike. I just couldn't do it because I just couldn't stop. And so they went to another place. And I think the place helped a little bit from the cultural point of view. But guess what? (laughs) You're still working. I personally sleep pretty well. I believe it's a gift. Um, I don't sleep enough. But when I put my head to the pillow, I'm out. It's really good. And I have a, this watch right here actually take, takes, um, tells me how much sleep I, I do, which sleep is good, but I think the, the doctors will tell you, you don't just need sleep, you need REM sleep, you need rapid eye movement sleep. I, I remember in uh, college, they, we uh, watched videos of researchers keeping somebody awake to see what would happen if, you know, every time the REM sleep would happen, they're sleeping, but to kind of like get them out of that REM sleep to see what would happen... Those people fell apart. They would get hallucinations. They couldn't focus. They couldn't think straight. Because REM sleep, in other words, sleep is not enough. You need deep sleep. In the same way, you and I, we need sleep, not just sleep of, uh, in general. We need deep sleep of the soul. The rest beneath our rest. And so our t- if I, I gave you a New Testament passage. If you look in your text, it's Mark 3. And what's happening here. When Jesus heals on the Sabbath, he's doing two things at once, which are quite profound. First, because he's redefining it away from how we probably like to define it as just a physical space, the Pharisees immediately said, I'm going to kill this individual, which I find also deeply ironic. Because he, he was placing Sabbath in the right context, it led to his death. 
which is important in, in its own right. But the second thing we see with Jesus doing this, what he's doing is he's saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying, I'm going to heal because healing and restoration was always the point of the Sabbath. In other words, what we're looking at today, way back in the desert, the point wasn't just to look to the past to rest in what you've done. It's also supposed to have always been a way to look forward to say, where will full final rest come? And I think this is the secret. If you want to know where you're going to get real rest, it's this. Jesus came in to the world to heal the world. Every miracle he does is always a restoration of creation because he's saying, that's what I'm bringing. And if you want real rest, you have to know what happened on the cross was the restlessness that you get now, the eternal version of that Jesus takes so that you and I can get the REM sleep of our soul. Hebrews 4, 9 talks about that, he said, which is fascinating. It, it says in the New Testament, it says, there is still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And the way you get that is entering into God's rest, where you can rest from your work, which I think is difficult because you're like, oh, so you mean actually stop? No, there's a way to be working and resting in the midst of that work. Because what this verse is saying is there's always going to be more work but that feeling that you have, that you had, no offense, I have to just remind you, that you had before the pandemic and is now being redefined, but still another version of it post-pandemic, I'm promising you no amount of entertainment, no amount of travel to another place, no amount of Netflix binging, no amount of overwork is going to get you there because the problem has always been not the work itself, but how you and I relate to that work that we're constantly using it for identity and salvation and validity. And to make this as concrete as possible, let me just give you one more example. Imagine two people, both working. One is saying, I'm just going to make as much money as possible because I want to I buy a bunch of homes so I can you know, have all my places to rest for myself. And the other person who works but is working for the poor, that is working to give the money away, working for the betterment of, of the world, Two people, who's doing work better? It's a trick question. Because one certainly on the surface looks uh, more noble and, and, and more virtuous. But actually, if both people are working because of their own identity, because it's possible to be working for the poor on the grounds of your own self-worth, on the grounds of, look what I'm doing. On the grounds of when, because of all the good work that you're doing, it's still about you at the end of the day. And what happens, here's what happens. I've seen it all the time. People, those people, they look down on other people. They say, well, I'm doing it. Why aren't you? And not only are they looking down, they're saying, well, I'm doing it. Why aren't you? So there's the look down, and then there's like, but why not? And there's the frustration version of it. And then there's the languishing, like, oh, I'm out here, and nobody else is caring like I'm caring. What's happening, potentially, in the heart motivation there is it's still centered on you, and that's why the languishing's happening. So in some ways, friends, I know the world redefines, like, what's good work, what's not, but potentially, the reason why it's killing us is because it's how we're using it and how we're relating to it. Because both persons, at the end of the day, it's still about you. And so here's the real dirty problem in New York, is that we are a world, we are a culture filled 
and oriented towards success. And most of us, I can probably say, to one degree or another, want success in this room. You, you want work success, but you want family success. You want success. And yet the Christian life, this is, this is, this is what's so radical, is actually not defined about success. The real Christian life, it's possible if all work is towards God, God could call you to work, and he's not calling you to be successful in that work. This is, the, this is where you, wait, what? Doesn't God want me to be successful? He, yeah. But if your identity is in him, success is knowledge and relationship to him and to his creative space. He po- possibly could be calling you to languish in a world of work, because work is hard now, but done for him, you might never actually see the product at the end of the day. You might never see the, 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 the benefit of the bounty afterwards. And so this is what's so fascinating. That means then you aren't called to overwork. You aren't called to do more. Stop exhausting yourself. Stop saving yourself. Stop breaking the very fabric of your own personhood that's not honoring God's given limitations. I used to say this to college students, you, there's only 24 hours in a day. I used to take a piece of paper, actually, and say, imagine this is your finite life. And I used to say, what are you going to fill it with? Because there's only 24 hours. How much is sleep? How much is work? How much? And they were always frustrated because there was always more to put in what they wanted to do than what, than what the paper would allow them to fill up. And I said, that's actually not wrong. That's right. It's right for you to say, I'm only going to do this. And I'm telling you the same thing. Hebrews 4 is here to say that rest from your work is not physical. It's not just emotional. It's cosmic. And this is what's so worrying for me. I think there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians right now, but the way they do that is on Sundays you show up here or you're, or you're, you're videoing in, and the rest of the week you show that you're not actually living as a Christian. It's not actually what you want. And I, and I think the problem is that you're only going to ever work, rest from your work as your salvation if you're actually resting in him as your salvation. This is why Jesus could say, Come all ye who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. And, he, and you say, well, how? And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and that yoke is the oxen yoke, right, that, that's put on your shoulders. And it's tilling the field. But how, is, can, how can his yoke be easy? It's easy because it's not yours anymore. So is this, this is something liberating. It's not your field. It's not yours to, to have to do. It's his field. And so whatever work you do, at the end of the day, you can say, you know what? It's his. I did my part. I'm good. You're good. Thank you, Lord. Let's, let's sit back and rest in that. And this is where I think it's so profound. When Jesus heals on the Sabbath, which leads to his actual death, do you guys remember what he said? The very last words that, that he uttered from his mouth when he's hanging on the cross. You know what he said? It is finished. It was about work. What Jesus was saying on the cross, when he said it is finished, what he's saying is, there was work to be done. There was cosmic work of salvation, and guess what? I did it, and it's done. And when you put yourself in him, when you say, actually, I'm going to believe in you first and foremost, then that finished work can be applied to you. Right? That's why you hear that, that what's the, the, the song go? Lay your deadly doing down. 
down at Jesus' feet. I love that. Right? So doing is not neutral. Lay the deadly doing down. Down at Jesus' feet. That means you can stop judging. Guess what? You're not the judge anymore. You don't have to judge everybody else. God's the judge. If you're someone who's after justice, what you can do simultaneously is on the one hand know that you're never going to see full justice on this side of creation because of the corruption of the world right now. And yet, if you know that full final restoration, full healing is coming, ironically, you can actually work harder, be more involved into justice narratives, but stopping where you need to stop, resting weekly and saying, it's not up to me ultimately, it's him. Or let's say you're an urban planner, and you're about trying to help humanity live and work in this world the best of your ability. You can strive at that your entire life. Maybe you see no product no real change in benefit, and you can say, it's okay, because ultimately I know resting and healing and restoration is coming, and so I can do my work now. Hopefully you can see that power, friends. I, I, I can say this. Here's my worry. I'm saying this up front. You're nodding along, and you're going to go out there tomorrow and do the very same thing that you've always have done. You ha- this, is why, this is why at the end of the day, you want to know what Sabbath is really about? Trust. Do you trust that at the end of the day, you don't have to? Because he did. Do you believe at the end of the day, what you're saying the Sabbath is, I don't actually have to do that extra, extra piece of work. I don't have to make that extra bit of money. I don't need that extra bit of success. It's okay if the world doesn't, looks at me and goes, man, you could have been so much more. And you know what? You could have said, you know what? I probably could have, but you know what? I'm not because I'm not going to define myself by what has been, what I could have done because I'm going to define myself what he has done. That is a life-transforming change. If you let yourself, the Sabbath is a proclamation of saying, ultimately, I'm not going to be the one that's going to make my life work. And I believe at the end of the day, the reason why we do overwork is that we think it's still up to us. Friends, you don't have to. He did. And I think this might be the biggest problem for Daniel Lincoln Square. We're going to go in the next 50 years to be a community that ends up loving and serving other people radically, to, to bring joy in the city to the degree that we're actually resting in him. If we don't, you know what I'm going to hear every day, which I'm already hearing? I have no bandwidth. I have no time. I have no rest. And you don't. I, tr- I believe you. But why? We're doing that because when we have no time, why? Because we filled up that piece of paper with work and sleep. And so we have no time to actually uh, read or grow or relate to other people. And no, fr- no offense, if you're not reading, growing, relating to folks, how are you going to know who God is? Of course you don't. When people say, oh, I believe in God, I just don't feel his presence. Well, have you spent the time that's needed to do that? No, not really. We will be the radical community that we want to be to the degree that we actually rest in him and take a Sabbath and say, you know what? It is finished. Don't live as if it's not, friends. Know that you can Stop, ultimately, because it's finished. Sit in that space. And if I could spell it out just 10 more seconds, how do you do this? Take a weekly Sabbath, please. Do it with other people. Realize that you live in a town right now that is, has a gross misunderstanding with a healthy relationship to work. And then use it to reflect on his saving work. And let that remind you that you have true rest that's coming so we can rest in the here and now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I say this to this congregation, you, 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 but Father, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. 
I believe, but I don't believe, Father. I, I, I trust, but I don't know if I really trust, Father. What would it look like if we... When the, when the, new, when the early church showed up 2,000 years ago, the creation, the, the cities around these individuals said, oh my gosh, these people are completely and utterly different. And there was great joy that went out into the city that's told us, to us in Acts 8, 8. What would it look like if we could be that radical community again? And I think it starts in how we orientate ourselves around work. And if we had that bandwidth, Father, all of a sudden, as we sit back and we, we would be able to notice the problems more, we would actually help people more, we would be in each other's lives more, we would be present more. We wouldn't be just sitting across the table from somebody else itching for our phones, Father. I say this as one who needs to be convicted myself, Father. Help me to see that all the finished work that's ultimately needed has been done in you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.